arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Star Trek, The Squire of Gothos, from 1966, Captain Kirk, in the midst of a duel, does not shoot the creature named Trelane. Instead, he fires his dueling pistol at the mirror facade that masks Trelane's manufactured reality. Return to Dallas is a historical time travel novel. I've made it my business to source what I put in that novel. Now, as Trelane sums up, you've ruined everything! And that's what I'm about to do in Return to Dallas. I'm about to change the events of November 23rd, 24th, 1963. I struggled with this decision. However, what transpires in this episode is more important to the critical thinking around the plot that killed John F. Kennedy. When I come back, I'll elaborate further. We're about to begin the final installment, episode 11 of Return to Dallas by Robert P. Fitton. Chapter 68, Dealey Plaza, Dallas, Texas, November 23rd, 1963, 2.33 p.m. Patch learned that they had postponed Oswald's transfer until Sunday morning. As they walked up the Houston Street sidewalk toward the plaza, he checked his notes. On the map, he had located Jack's striptease club on Commerce, and from the phone book, he learned Jack lived in Oak Cliff, near the spot where the officer had been shot to death. When they rounded the corner, scattered groups of people had gathered in the plaza. Flowers strewn across the grass from the pergolas formed a collective odor, like arrangements in a funeral parlor. Rope barricades blocked both sides of the road, including the hill area. What did you hear yesterday, Sherry? Echoes. I think three shots, two quick ones just before they got the president. Patch studied the glass entrance doors up to the depository near the mailbox. He then looked past the oak tree where someone had planted a cross in the grass. Onlookers moved at a slow, mournful pace. Patch squinted into the sun, but his mind was back at the White House, grisly and gray back in Washington. He wondered where Hunt and Phillips were on this day. Marcello had walked out of court a free man. He continued down the sidewalk as the scent of fresh flowers drifted back toward the depository. A man walked down the street with his two little boys. He squatted down and pointed toward the street as he told his sons that the President of the United States had died here yesterday. Patch stood near the highway sign for the Stemmons Freeway. He wasn't sure whether the dent in the Stemmons Freeway sign was from a bullet. Then he pointed up to the stockade fence. He noticed a man's eyes teary at the flowered cross near the pergola ahead. Now they're saying the Mauser was an Italian rifle, said Sherry. One of the deputy sheriffs who found it, said Patch. Weitzman, he swore it was a Mauser. Now he's changing his story. He pointed back to the building behind the depository. And Jim Braden, I think he shot the president in the back from that building because I saw him leaving with a case. 
Cherry spoke in a lower voice as they started up the hill toward the stockade fence. Patch, why aren't the police asking these questions and the FBI? Sergeant Hill, said Patch as he counted with his thumb. He was in the depository. He says he found the Italian rifle. Says the boxes were stacked into a sniper's nest. He was also there when the cop was shot. And he was there when Oswald was arrested in the theater. A man in many places at once. Something is driving this investigation, but I don't understand what it is. Patch led her along the fence. He ran his fingers over the pickets. Then they descended the concrete stairs. Past the fluted black lamp hole, Patch had seen the final shot to the president's head. If Oswald somehow survives, maybe the rest of this will come out. He was in the middle of it all, according to Pilatus. Patch looked across the grass to the second underpass and then down at the curb. On the edge was a nick or chip. I saw the guy with blood on his face, not a bullet, but it must have been a piece of the curb flung into his cheek. Well, where did that shot come from? In back. She grabbed his arm. Patch, down at the corner. Jack. Beyond the flowers, across the grass, Jack was easily recognizable in his dark hat. Then he disappeared beyond the obelisk and the statue at the far end of the plaza. That jail isn't too far away. What if he makes his move tomorrow, she asked. No, that's not the way it happened. I remember it all now. The picture of him shooting Oswald was all over the newspapers and the history books forever. You need a gun patch. At two minutes past five, Jack simply walked into police headquarters. Patch had purchased a pistol and ammunition at Denny's Sporting Goods store a few miles away. How does that man just stroll inside the police station after the President of the United States has been murdered? asked Sherry. I think he was involved with most of the cops and they went to his club. Patch gritted his teeth. Look, when he comes out, we'll follow him and then I'll shoot him. The glass corner piece separated the Carousel Club poster from the front of the building marquee. Over the black and white photos of the strippers, someone had handwritten a sign mark closed. Patch looked up at the missing letter on one of the strippers' names above the marquee. The darkened windows and the white bricks showed no activity upstairs. Surprised he closed this joint, said Patch, checking the 38 automatic in the shoulder holster. Then he pulled on the door, but it did not budge. I'm still amazed that they just let him walk into police headquarters this afternoon. He won't try anything until they move Oswald, said Sherry. Patch checked down the sidewalk. I have to get him tonight. Tomorrow is chancing it too close. A tiny woman with fluffed up auburn hair wore light slacks and a dark coat with a fake fur collar. She adjusted her handbag and looked at the handwritten sign. Should've known Jack would close this place. You know him? You a cop? No, I was in the plaza when the president was killed. Well, let me tell you something, and you didn't hear it from me. Hear what? asked Sherry. Oswald was in the club. I saw him there. Patch looked toward her. Are you sure? I ain't the only one. He was in Billy DeVell's memory act. What do you think it means? asked Sherry. Well, shit, I don't know what his connection was to Jack. Clyde said he saw Oswald in, in Jack's office two or three times. I don't know nothing, and never will. Hey, it's out of our hands, said Patch. She nodded and twisted her mouth. One more thing, she said, looking down at the sidewalk. What's that? 
Estes served drinks in Jack's office when Oswald was in there last spring with three men and dressed in suits. Then she opened her pocketbook. A small pistol lay atop a blue plastic cosmetic case. I got my protection. What about Jack? Do you think he'll be back here tonight? She pointed at the sign. Jack owes me money, but he ain't coming back tonight. If I know Jack, he'll be down at police headquarters bringing the cops sandwiches. He knows them all. They've all been in here. I'm going back to Fort Worth. Then she turned around and sashayed down the sidewalk out of the light. Sherry looked at Patch once she was gone. Not good, Patchy. This thing is bigger than anyone was told. They'll just bury it. Patch turned as Rico ran up the sidewalk. I've been looking for you, man. Are you all right, Rico? Asked Sherry as she hugged him. I, I'm all right. Where is Bullneck? Asked Patch. Thirty miles south on the prairie. He and his men have no clothes, but that's not it. Then what's the matter? I was driving back into town when I heard about President being killed. He began crying and held Sherry. Then he stepped back. I drove back through Oak Cliff. That's where that officer was murdered. Yes, yes, I pulled into the Glocko gas station. The attendant pumped the gas car, number 10, near the bus stop. There he was, Tippett, the one who was going to be murdered. Just before one o'clock, he pulled out fast and I saw him again at the record store. He comes running out and rushes into the cruiser. I followed him because I thought he was going after the president's killer. Maybe Oswald did kill the officer, said Sherry. No. Tippett drove to a small house, beeped his horn, said Rico. I didn't follow him after that. Rico, they said on TV that Oswald killed this officer, said Patch. I drove back to get something to eat in Oak Cliffs. The guy in the restaurant parking lot tells me that an officer was murdered by some guy just short of six feet with a ruddy complexion. Some guy approached Tippett from the driveway. Well, that's not Oswald, said Patch. And there was another policeman around there who got Oswald's wallet from somebody. Wait, Oswald was in the theater. It was a second guy after the murder. One guy gestured to another to take off, and they ran in different directions. Neither one was Oswald. I finished eating. I drove to Fort Worth just to get out of the area. But then I came back to Dallas to look for you two at the Carousel Club. Oswald did not kill the president, Rico. I was in the school building. He was in the lunchroom and on the steps when the president's motorcade went by. No matter what they say, I know what I saw. Captain Westbrook found Oswald's wallet near, the, near Tippett's murder. Pinky Westbrook? Asked Sherry. Who is he? Asked Patch. He's one of the insiders, Patch. Head of personnel for all cops. I met him after they got me out of the safe house. What is the personnel guy doing with Oswald's wallet? Asked Patch. Good question. Planted the wallet like the shells and the rifle, said Patch. You only plant the wallet if you know the target is still alive. I'm glad you two are okay, said Rico. You need to do what I'm going to do. Disappear. Change your names. Maybe leave the country. Because if you don't, they will kill you. I agree, said Patch. Thank you, Rico, for all you did for us, said Sherry, and she hugged him. Rico shook hands with Patch. What Kennedy said, things do not happen, things are made to happen. 
Rico saluted as he ran into the alleyway, disappearing into the night and from their lives. Sherry looped her arm around Patch and then they headed back down Commerce Street. Patch looked up at the hotel across the street. Maybe we could get a room here and wait. If you listen to that TV, you really start thinking Oswald killed the president. No matter which network it is, they use that gig in New Orleans as real. They think he's a Marxist. Believe me when I tell you, Oswald never fired a gun. I don't know what he was doing in the theater. Patch glanced back to the club. Let's head down to police headquarters and see if Jack shows up. What about Rico, Patch? Like us and everything else. Caught in the meat grinder. Cars and trucks now surrounded the police station, and the crowd of people expanded along with several reporters outside. The streetlights cast a black and white noir over the area. Patch held Sherry's hand as they slowed. Without his connections, Jack would never get in there. Several officers smoked cigarettes near the first row of cars. He pulled Sherry up to them. This place is a madhouse. You a reporter? Asked the uniformed man to the right. We were here on vacation when the president was shot, said Sherry. The guys got Oswald right away. Yeah, we don't mess around, said the man in the white shirt and tie, smiling. He took a drag on the cigarette. The uniformed officer spoke again. I heard it from the postal inspector, Holmes. He interrogated Oswald. Oswald is a commie, pure and simple. He pulled out a gun in the theater. Wait. What, why is the postal inspector questioning Oswald? asked Patch. I guess, uh, guess Holmes saw the film they have of the assassination also. I heard on TV Oswald was passing out communist books in New Orleans, said Sherry. Pamphlets with a phony name, Hodel. Same ID Captain Fritz has in Homicide. Why the fake ID? asked Patch. Captain will figure it out, said the uniformed man, smiling at the other guy. He'll trace down that library card and that half-box mark Cox's Fort Worth. Library card? Yeah, some guy named David Ferry in New Orleans. Patch just stared at him. Nobody's safe. Chapter 69. Dallas Police Headquarters, 106 South Howard Street, Dallas, Texas, November 24, 1963, 10.45 a.m. As Patch and Sherry neared the municipal building, a black Ford moved into place on the Main Street basement ramp. They constantly checked down Commerce Street and up the opposite sidewalk for Jack. Are you in charge? When are they moving Oswald out? The cop, a Sergeant Dean, adjusted his white police hat. Transfer has been delayed. Then he headed back down the ramp. Let's just walk around the building and see if we spot Jack. She shrugged her shoulders. He could be anywhere around here, Sherry. They walked away from the annex and passed a side entrance toward a heavy older building. Along South Howard Street, reporters broadcast into makeshift cameras. Patch led Sherry along the building's steep stone steps. He studied every face as they rounded the corner to Main Street. A few blocks away, a sign for a Western Union protruded from a corner building. Let's go up to the Western Union, said Patch. Moon did say Western Union, but why would Jack be at the Western Union? We'll see. Patch took her hand and moved away from the municipal building in the back of the annex. 
All the way up the Main Street sidewalk, Hatch's hand glided along his gun. Shooting Jack meant trusting in some kind of new history, as well as trusting his once-blocked memory, trusting Moon had let something slip out. A parking lot boarded the other buildings across from the Western Union. Patch led her to a position behind a building corner near another parking lot. We head back to the annex ramp area if he doesn't show up within 10 minutes. Why go to a Western Union before shooting Oswald? Patch thought for some time. Maybe to show there was no conspiracy. That's exactly what people will say. They'll say his passion overcame him because he was just minding his own business at the Western Union and then shot Oswald. Someone shouted and then Moon popped his head out a first floor window of the Southland Hotel. His raspy voice became clear. I have a silencer on this rifle. You go near Jack and I'll shoot you, Patch. Patch turned. Why do you care? There are more people involved than just Jack. Don't you understand that? Let me up the ante. Keep your mouth shut or I'll kill you. Turn around and shut up. He's going to silence Oswald, Moon. 350 feet from the Main Street ramp, Jack's white 1960 Oldsmobile rounded the corner. He easily parked in the all-right parking lot at the corner of Main and Pearl Streets. Jack, in a hat and suit, stepped out of the car. He appeared exactly as Patch's jog memory had envisioned him from the other timeline. Jack's dog remained in the car. He chucked his keys in the trunk and locked the trunk. Then he opened the door and placed something inside the glove compartment. Jack stared at his watch and leaving the car unlocked, he moved across the parking lot. Patch kept his hand on the revolver. Only seconds later, Jack was at the Main Street curb and crossed the street toward the building with the Western Union letters in the elongated windows. He grabbed the aluminum rail across the wood frame glass door and disappeared inside. Patch looked back at Moon, his dark rifle barrel with a silencer, still pointed at them from the first floor hotel window. I have to get over to that door. He'll shoot you. We divide. You go right, and you'll be out of his range in just a few seconds. I'll dive on my belly and get behind one of those cars. Patch, I can't let you do this. This is one of those times, Sherry. We have to act. Then he pushed her to the right and dove into the lot. In his peripheral vision, she ran to the side and out of range. Moon did not fire as Pat scrambled toward a green Chevy pickup. Once he was shielded by the truck, he removed his gun and prepared to rush Jack from a closer range. Patch raised his wristwatch, 11.17 a.m. He saw Jack behind the glass and then the door opened. Patch tensed his legs and started forward. Jack had just passed the mailbox when he raised his arms to his chest. Then he tumbled onto the sidewalk. His hat rolled onto the street. Splatted blood coated the bottom of the Western Union building. A wider, dark puddle spread across the concrete and over the curb. Patch turned. Moon was not in the window. Jack's dog barked inside the Oldsmobile. Sherry ran diagonally through the car rows. Patch backtracked toward her as a man and a woman spotted Jack spread across the concrete. Several people exited out the Western Union door as Patch scurried back to the lot. Moon killed him. We have to get out of here, Patch man in a t-shirt pointed at the parking lot. Patch nodded and placed the gun back in the holster. 
They dodged the parked cars and then cut into a side street. They ran along the older buildings and onto a sidewalk of a busy road. Sherry slowed with a cramp in her side. Pat stepped onto the road and hailed a white cab with green letters. Bring us to the bus terminal. Sure, answered the young driver in a red cap. He thought he heard sirens as the cab headed downtown. The radio announcer spoke from the police annex. From what we know, prisoner Lynch, presidential assassin Lee Harvey Oswald, has left the Dallas police annex. Oswald will be in the county jail, ironically overlooking Dealey Plaza, where President Kennedy was gunned down on Friday. Sherry leaned on Patch's shoulders and held his hand. She whispered in his ear, Where can we go, Patch? Galveston, where we were in September. Then we can leave by boat and forget all this. Chapter 70 Galveston Island, Texas November 24, 1963, 3.30 p.m. The waves gently rolled in across the gulf. Seagulls and terns crossed the sky with a celestial quietude, broken occasionally by the wind. With Sherry by his side, Patch walked along the narrow beach road, overlooking a prodigious beach expanse. He felt peaceful in this place. He caught sight of David Ferry, standing in front of the Driftwood Motel, across the street. When Ferry hopped in the car, Patch called a cab and they followed him to a tiny airfield beyond the bayou in the Gulf. Ferry entered the little terminal but exited only a few minutes later. Ferry said something to a tall man in a white shirt and thin tie about driving down from the Winterland ice skating rink in Houston. He said that Lee Oswald was supposed to have been killed on a bus outside the plaza on Friday afternoon and later that day in the theater. Jack was supposed to kill Oswald on Sunday morning. Then he and a pudgy, dark-haired man walked out to a tiny red and white plane off the runway. The big man flipped several bills into Ferry's hand. Then they shook hands. Ferry said he was heading back to New Orleans. He returned to the car and drove across the dirt road with another man. They headed back to the hotel and were gone. She put her head on Patch's shoulder. Oswald tried to penetrate the plot. Patch panned the ocean horizon in the late afternoon sun. He was clueless as to Ferry's real role. This is going to involve the whole Cuba thing in Mexico City. Maybe Ferry was going to fly him into Cuba, I don't know. I think it'll all come out now that he's still alive. She held Patch's arm and looked up at him in the afternoon sun. The question is, Patch, even with Jack dead, whether they'll get to Oswald before he opens his mouth. Patch nodded. Oswald was pretty upset about the charges brought against him. I say he opens up and fingers all these bastards. Galveston Island, Texas, November 25th, 1963, Monday, 3.13 a.m. Neither Patch or Sherry could sleep. In the middle of the night, they hiked down to the beach. He held the portable radio in anticipation of more news bulletins. A sliver of moon hovered in the sky. The incoming waves were gray, loud, and continuous. They're burying Kennedy at Arlington today, said Patch as he wrapped the blanket around them. I heard them say Jackie wants an eternal flame on the grave. Patch nodded. How do you go on after seeing your husband murdered right next to you in the car? Sometimes you just do, Patch. 
All the way to daybreak, he listened to the waves as he lay with his arms around her. Near dawn, the crashing of the waves diminished as if someone had turned down the volume. Then the dimly lit ocean appeared like a two-dimensional painting. Static rose up on the hair on his arms. Hold on to me, he said, as he locked his arms and legs tightly around her. What's the matter? The bubble. Very slowly, they lost contact with the sand. The brisk breeze disappeared. They floated at an odd angle above the shore. In an instant, the sun rose in the east, and then just as quickly traversed the sky and fell below the horizon. The flashing days were plowed into a dull gray blur. She held on to him as if they were free-falling on a sky jump. The air moved with them inside the time bubble, but the light dimmed to dark as the effects of retrograde rushed them into the future. Epilogue Apex Junction, CX7523, 1.30 a.m. The cold air immediately stung his arms and legs. Bright lamps, maybe a hundred feet above a silver circle, materialized with a prodigious lightning storm. As the electricity slowly dissipated, an armored military team, helmeted with elongated vests, quickly surrounded them. Sherry squeezed him tight, the blanket still covering both of them. A lean man in army fatigues removed a thin cigar from his mouth as he stormed in front of the contingent. Scruffy blonde hair stuck out of his wide helmet. I'm Lieutenant McVickers. Where are we? shouted Patch. You're Patch Kincaid and Sherry Thomas. How do you know this? asked Patch. He pulled the blanket over her shoulder from the cold. I never would have believed them. No, sir. He turned toward a short stump of a man. Sergeant, prepare the excursion vehicle. Yes, sir. Again, Lieutenant, said Patch. Where are we? ComCon alert, American Colony 6. Tell them we have the cargo and we're coming in. The smaller man to his right saluted. Then McVickers walked up to Patch. I apologize for not being more hospitable. What year is this? asked Sherry. You two have come ahead. We estimate 76 years. 2039, asked Patch. Yes, sir. She buried her head on Patch's shoulders. Where are we? Manitoba, British Columbia. Sir, said the sergeant, excursion vehicle is ready. Thank you, sergeant. Why are we in Canada, asked Patch. They've been working for 19 years to recapture the retrograde bubble. They located it eight years ago. Never thought we'd actually get you back here. Patch stepped forward. This could have been accomplished in the United States. Captain, we're going to bring you to Colony 6 where the authorities can better answer your questions. I'm coordinating the recovery team. It's just a damn simple question. Why can't you get us back to the United States? McVicker said nothing for almost 10 seconds. Sir? There is no United States. It's the National Security State, NSS. Patch looked at Sherry's moist eyes. He had a spreading pain across his gut. Look, McVickers, we were just in 1963. Kennedy had just been killed. We prevented Oswald from being killed by Ruby. This way, Captain, ma'am. He motioned them around the soldiers. As they crossed the moist, steamy soil, McVickers spoke. 
Oswald died in the county jail. They said he hanged himself, but that isn't what happened. You've got to be kidding, said Patch as he stopped. McVickers also stopped. It was a coup d'etat, Captain. Patch closed his moist eyes. The official government line in the NSS is Lee Harvey Oswald shot Kennedy. Patch opened his eyes. I saw what happened. I need to get back to the United States and tell people the truth. Sir, it's still illegal to study the Kennedy assassination in the NSS. You don't want to do that. And we don't want Homeland Security agents up here. They began walking again toward a large black military vehicle, exhaust trailing into the night. One of the soldiers opened the rear door and they all piled inside. A number of monitors and colorful panels rimmed the front seat. Patch's face tightened, and then McVickers shut the door. The vehicle hummed forward. He hugged Sherry with his left arm and in a subdued voice. Just when did the United States change? McVickers brushed back his curly hair. Long story. There's no way they could have covered it up. Oswald never fired a gun. McVickers swallowed and rubbed his chin. The briefing is supposed to come later. Look, they framed him with an old Italian rifle. They claimed it was ordered from Klein's Sporting Goods in Chicago. So they had him order it and set him up, said Sherry. No, ma'am. They forged Oswald's alias on a magazine order slip. They claimed to ride from Dallas to Chicago in less time than it was possible. No one ever questioned this? asked Patch. Yes, many did. Now wait a minute. First, no one ever saw Oswald receive the rifle at the post office box in the name of Hedell, which wasn't on the P.O. box. This is how we know the rifle was never ordered but planted. The FBI absconded with Klein's microfilm records. The rifle found by the Dallas police was the wrong size to the Klein's ad at the beginning of 1963. We have copies of the so-called money order they said Oswald mailed to Klein's. It was never endorsed for deposit in the Chicago National Bank or the Federal Reserve Bank in Kansas City. The stuff for the order was never produced. It is very likely that the local postmaster, Harry Holmes, had something to do with producing this check. The damn thing was never fired on November 22, 1963. Patch, said Sherry. I think Oswald was supposed to buy those weapons from McEwen. That is correct, Miss Thomas. I saw Jack Kennedy's head blown off, said Patch loudly. Any autopsy would have proved the shots came from all over that plaza. McVicker shook his head. The Secret Service threatened authorities with submachine guns if they didn't release the body. While Mrs. Kennedy and the others were on Air Force One, JFK's body was put in a body bag and helicoptered ahead of an empty casket of the empty casket to Bethesda in Maryland. Surgery was performed on the wounds, x-rays altered, Drawings done of fabricated views of Kennedy's skull. Well, I find that hard to believe, said Patch. That was the most important part, controlling what happened after the president was killed. People should have spoken up, said Patch. Some did. Many were killed. What do you mean? asked Sherry. 
He just took people out? Nick Vickers nodded. There were dozens of people, witnesses, researchers, a member of the commission that issued the cover-up report on the assassination. Mobsters. What mobsters? Asked Patch as he stood. Richard Kane. Richard Kane. We met Kane. 1973, gunshot wound, one blast from a shot-off shotgun under the chin. Any other mafia people? Asked Patch as an image of Johnny Vaselli at Dodger Stadium entered his thoughts. Sam Giancana, 1975. I met Giancana in Florida, 1961, said Patch. What about Rosselli? He was murdered. Body stuffed into an oil drum, 1976. Oh my God, blurted Patch, pinching his brow as his gut wrenched and Sherry held his hand. George DeMorenchel. Patch tightened his eyes. The man who steered Oswald to the pains in Dallas. They said it was a suicide with a shotgun, which was highly unlikely. Okay, I get it. People died. He hugged Sherry with his left arm and then spoke in a subdued voice. So everything changed. How did this all happen, Lieutenant? McVickers brushed back his curly hair. Long story. Maybe it was sometime during the Second World War. Perhaps when they accepted that Nazi Reinhard Gellens offered to provide the German intelligence network to the United States. Alan Dulles did not want some of the Nazi war criminals prosecuted. Kennedy fired Dulles after the Bay of Pigs and Dulles investigated the Kennedy murder. Dulles and his people designed the Bay of Pigs to fail so Kennedy would invade Cuba, but he refrained from the use of American force. But it was still in the United States back then, said Sherry. Was it? In name only. They embarked on government takeovers and assassinations after World War II, all because of the Cold War. It was a third world, they said, just a communist threat. With Korea, they discovered they could easily hide things from the public. So you're saying that more and more power was displaced, said Pat. Was it when they dropped the bomb on Japan, not once, but twice? Or was it the alliances with high-level bankers and powerful industrial forces? The National Security Act of 1947? Maybe it was the creation of the CIA by Truman. Take your choice. The invisible government formed and the tentacles went out. Criminals, they killed Kennedy. McVickers unfolded an official Canadian government paper from his pocket. My orders are to give you this letter once you were safely ensconced in the vehicle. What do you mean, letter? asked Patch. It was written by Ray Mankiewicz shortly before his death in 2013. He figured out why Kennedy died when he returned to 1961. How would he even know within this timeline? Captain, you forget. You shared the timeline with Mankiewicz in September and October of 1963. Dear Patch, if you're reading this, you made it back. Somewhere. Some time period. First, Rosselli was the middleman for Bernardo de Torres and his surveillance activities. Rosselli was contacted by Santo Traficante three days before you showed up in Los Angeles. 
The specific money you received for your efforts came from oil money in Texas as a front for Army intelligence. Your reports were seen by relevant people, including former CIA Director Alan Dulles and others. I know why Kennedy died because of your first journey back from 1986. It's my fault as much as it is yours. We just had no idea of the implications. During the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, Task Force W began unauthorized raids on Cuba. These raids were instigated by the CIA's Bill Harvey. That action cost him his job. He was transferred overseas but continued to fight against Castro. Because Carlos Sanchez was killed at the Agua de Pueblo Dam in Santa Clara, Cuba patch, Bill Harvey was not murdered in the spring of 1963. Well, you see, Carlos Sanchez, acting on behalf of G2 and Castro, killed Bill Harvey and Johnny Rosselli at the marina on Plantation Key, Florida, on April 16, 1963. Sanchez used a U.S. M16 rifle, fired multiple times. A very valuable ZR rifle assassin recruited in 1960, codenamed QJ Wynn, John J. Berger, a.k.a. Jose Maria Andre Mankel, was critically wounded but survived. Thus, Harvey or Rosselli never coordinated their part of the plot against President Kennedy. I just don't have all the details. What's clear is Harvey and Rosselli did not die like they were supposed to, and the timeline changed. Wherever you are, Patch, forget all this. Thinking about it will do you no good. Godspeed, Patch. Always your friend, Ray Minkowitz. Who planned it, McVickers? Who was behind the killing of President Kennedy? McVickers pressed his lips before he spoke. He didn't leave any trails. We know their operational people put it together and executed the plan. I can say with great authority that this cabal used acronyms and double acronyms to hide everything. Nothing was written down. Look what happened to my country. Who knew, McVickers? There are 6,000 Americans at this colony. JK-52917, Captain. Patch shook his head. To answer your question, Patch, they all knew. Patch stared out the window for the longest time. Jack Kennedy is dead. We'll live out our lives, McVickers. But for my generation, we never really got over it. Oswald hangs himself. Yeah, right. In a jail cell after his transfer. I know, my credibility is shot. Jack Ruby is murdered at the Western Union. Okay, so why bother with any of this at all? It's paramount in the Kennedy assassination that Jack Ruby wasn't a mere nightclub owner who was so angry at the communists for killing Jack Kennedy that he became Captain America and killed Lee Oswald. Well, from the Kennedy paradox and return to Dallas, I have shown Ruby's mafia connections and work for the mob. The record is clear about Lee Oswald working for the intelligence agencies and only assuming the guise of a Marxist sympathizer. Above all, Oswald said that he was a patsy. You heard the words come out of his mouth. Oswald, even if Ruby couldn't kill him, was going to be eliminated. 
Lastly, we see how the United States became the national security state in the future. For the national security state to maintain power, injustices are covered up. None of the plotters would have left a guide to how we kill Kennedy laying around on the kitchen table. However, dedicated researchers are constantly reverse engineering codes, acronyms, and circumstances which at a point in time will allow that guy to how we kill Kennedy to be written. Next week, whew, we shift gears and return to 1882 in the time travel novel, When You're Dead, You're Dead. A definite change of venue and characters. When you're dead, you're dead was research, especially for Johnny Ringo. It was not sourced. I'm Robert P. Fitton, taking a plane to the Old West after a quick jaunt to San Francisco. Happy trails to you. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.